Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. I love the king and the king loves me. Oh, does that bring a smile to your face? Oh, I've got to stand in camera, haven't I? Oh, good grief. You know what? We can be free in worship, but preaching has become a lot harder <laughs> since we've induced this technology. Now, a couple of things before we start. Um, last week I walked into church and Martin started the service with the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm thinking, I'm preaching on that next week. <laughs> and then Jake does his sermon. Oh, I like the hen, don't you? The hen of God. Now, I wonder if that's H-E-N or some other spelling, I don't know. But that was really good. If you didn't catch that, you need to listen to the message from last week. But then halfway through his uh, talk, he actually uses the illustration that I'm going to open my sermon with. (sighs) So you're thinking, well, what's the Lord saying? Well, I always believe that if the Lord wants to get a message over to you, that sometimes you have to hear it more than once. Yeah? Yeah. I'm sure you know that's true. I once went to sleep on one Saturday evening, went off into a blissful dream. I'm going to end up kicking this over. And I had this dream, and it was David Haynes, who was an elder of our church, and he was preaching this strong message about commitment as a Christian. And I woke up in a cold sweat thinking, gosh, what's God trying to tell me? So I go to church that morning, and guess who's preaching? It's David Haynes. And he preaches this strong message on Christian commitment. (laughs) So I'm thinking, yep, you really, really got me there, Lord. I need to listen to what you're saying. Because sometimes we can drift off a bit, can't we? We can let our Christian life slide We can go into neutral and not be that person that God is calling us to be. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Words to a famous hymn which has found its way into the charts. It's often sung at times of celebration or tragedy and it invokes deep emotions and has power to touch the soul. And that song, that hymn, is over probably nearly 200 years old. And the composer John Newton was a slave ship captain who later became a vicar. And he spoke from personal experience about the grace that he'd received. His journey to faith started in a violent storm aboard a ship where he cried out for mercy because it looked like they were going to go down. The storm abated, he was saved, and he reformed his behaviour, but as he would later on admit, he was far from being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, according to some sources, and I haven't researched this extensively, um, his final 
coming to Christ, his submission to Christ, happened on the island of St. Kitts in the Caribbean. And Andrew and I visited a church there that hosts an, an exhibition in memory of John Newton. Later in his life, he went on to oppose slavery. He gave evidence to Parliament about the appalling conditions on slave ships. Up to a third of the human cargo could be lost on the voyage. And those that died were just thrown overboard. They were just the cost of doing trade. And he was a man who had inflicted unspeakable suffering on the slaves he transported. And yet, and yet, and yet, he received grace. He received grace from Jesus Christ, his Lord. And that grace extended to him despite the life that he'd lived and the suffering that he caused. Jesus told stories. We call them parables. Some had hidden meanings. Some, not so much. And one of the most well-known ones is the story about a man with two sons. The younger one wants the share of his inheritance now, before his dad dies. Which is the equivalent of saying, drop dead dad and give me the money. Well, as an opener, this got the listeners up and off their seats. How outrageous. Such terrible behaviour. It's unheard of. It's against everything the culture stands for. This son, he deserves severe punishment. But the father, strangely, gives him what he wants. And I think there's a little bit of that parable there that says, sometimes we need to beware what we wish for, because when we get it, we might not be quite so happy as we thought we might be. So the son takes his inheritance and he leaves home and sets off travelling. Well, the money doesn't last too long, because he spends it on parties and oh, gallivanting, carousing and all that kind of stuff. He went to karaoke's and, you know, really had a great time. And then the money runs out. All his hangers-on part go away. And he's left penniless and friendless. Now, he tries to find a job, but there's a severe famine in the land, and it's incredibly difficult. There's scarce work to be found. What work there is will hardly pay for food to eat, let alone a place to stay. So he's permanently hungry. And his final job, which is the really deepest, deepest insult, and I think Jesus is really, really laying it on here. He's saying, and guess what he ends up doing next? He ends up tending pigs, of all things, which would have been an absolute anathema to the Jewish people. And he's so hungry, the Bible says, he starts looking at the pig squirrel and thinks, maybe if I just close my eyes, I can take a swig. I can take a swig. Well, what's so amazing about grace 
Uh-huh, I'm gone. Oh, okay. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me to be one of your hired hands. So in that moment of clarity, he comes to his senses. He looks back to that time at home on the farm and sees maybe, just maybe, there's a way out of this awful life. Maybe it's his kind of last chance because staying where he is is only going to lead to hunger and death. So he resolves to go home, admit his mistake, humbly apologise, hoping maybe, just maybe, his father will employ him as a hired servant. Well, it's a plan, and there's no plan B. And he sets off, and I suspect more in hope than expectation. His clothes are in tatters, his feet are bare, he's probably thin and haggard from hunger, and he's going back the way he came. Now, at this point in the story, because Jesus is a great storyteller, everybody's on the edge of their seats. Oh, he's going to get it, Ellie. <laughs> when that son comes home, he's going to get what for? You know, we know how this story ends. At last, comeuppance. The father's going to send him packing. But what Jesus says rocks them to the core. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He runs to him, unheard of. He's filled with compassion and joy. Unthinkable. A huge hug instead of condemnation. A loving kiss to welcome the son home. Now this is clearly not the reception the listeners were expecting, nor the son. He was expecting a lot worse. But I give the son his due. He comes out with his apology that I suspect he'd been rehearsing all the way home, every step of the way. Dad, I'm so sorry. I've messed up. Can you forgive me? Look, I'm not going to be your son anymore, but just perhaps make, give me a job so that I can be fed. And I believe this young man is stunned and shocked and overwhelmed. The listeners would have been scandalised. This is not the action that we expect from a Jewish father. This boy should be stoned for what he's done. For the disrespect and the dishonour he's brought upon the family. And instead, he gets a warm embrace. You see... That's what's so amazing about grace. And the father, he's none, not into condemnation. He's not into judgment. He's not into making his son feel unwelcomed. Instead, he says, grab the robe, put it on him, cover up his shame, cover up the fact that he's in tattered clothes. 
Put a ring on his finger because that tells everybody he's part of the family. Because that's how you identified in that culture. And put sandals on his feet because he's no longer a beggar. He's no longer an outcast. He is home. He is home. And he's safe. And finally, we're going to throw the party of all parties because my son, who I thought was dead, is now alive. Now, if you read the story in Luke, you'll find it's part of a series where Jesus is talking about things that get lost and then they get found. And part of what runs through this is there's always a celebration when something that is lost gets found. And everybody who is found starts a party in heaven. Because Jesus says that when one sinner repents, the angels throw a party. Now, I think they've got party poppers, and I think the mess up there must be enormous. They must be drowning in party poppers because every day people are coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And every day there's a party going on in heaven. Aren't you? Oh, I can't wait for it, can you? And that party is never ending because people are daily turning to Jesus. So what's so amazing about grace? Grace. Now, the point of this story that Jesus told was to change our mindsets, to change the way we see God. He's not an angry father waiting to exact judgment on us. He looks upon us with compassion. And Jesus wants us to know that no matter what we've done, no matter how awful we've been, And no matter how bad it is, we can still find grace if we turn to him. The son deserved punishment, abandonment, perhaps disownment. Instead, he received grace and forgiveness. He got a party instead of a parting. A belonging and not a rejection. You see, the Father knows that we were all lost, and maybe some of us still are. But he wants us to be found. And he's waiting with compassion, ready, and grace. You know, we once were lost. And if you found Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've now been found. Once you were blind to what you were doing and the way you were living, but through grace, you now see and want to live a different way. So grace, it's undeserved. We don't deserve it. But God says it's there for you anyway. The Father says, come, and you can have grace. It's unexpected. You know, I think when that son approached home, it must have been with fear and trepidation. I suspect his stomach was turning over, probably rumbling from a hunger, but he must have been absolutely terrified about what he was going to meet. And yet the father shows this compassion. It was so unexpected. 
Paul writes this in the letter to the Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that you, out of his glorious riches, may, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how deep. Do you notice there's four of them? Ah, oh, it's amazing, that love. And to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever and ever. It's out of God, Christ's glorious riches that God's grace is available to the deserving and unexpectant. It's extravagant. This is more than the son could ever hope for. It's more than he could have imagined. We can think of all things that God could do for us, but we cannot even begin to imagine what God has in store for us as his children. We go through this life with its ups and downs and its struggles, and we're called to be God's gracious people. But you don't know, and we can't imagine what God has prepared for those that love him, who are called by his name. Are you called by his name? Do you love him? Do you have any conception of what he has in store for you? For the gifts that will last all eternity? That will go on and on and on and on? When we've been there 10,000 years? Wow. It's extravagant. You see, God's never grudging, nor resentful. He has grace that abounds. I've got more than enough, because he's more than enough. And he gives us that grace. And it's boundless, and it's endless, and it flows. And when we receive that grace, it's like water to the soul. It revives us. We receive grace at Christ's expense. His grace beyond measure. You see, that's why in the Bible you read, murderers receive grace. Adulterers receive grace. The thief on the cross receives grace. Read through the book and you'll find some astonishing people who receive grace. Not to mention people like Samson. Let's not go there. You see, Jesus tells this parable about a ruler who throws a big party, invites all the leaders and the citizens and the upright people, and they all find excuses not to go. So rather than call it off, he goes out and he sends his 
servants out into the streets and they get the beggars and the homeless and the nobodies and the, the people you can't imagine and they're pretty horrible and dirty but he brings them into his house he puts a wonderful robe upon them and he says come and enjoy my banquet because I am an extravagant father now if you just kind of notice that there's a little thing that runs through this that I just want to bring up now because I suspect you're all sitting there thinking, oh, this is wonderful. But hang on a minute. Is this fair? Is this fair? Now, to the listeners of this story, it broke all the conventions. The fathers' were so, actions were so generous. It borders on and probably was seen as, this is just not fair. It's not just. What's going on here? There are no consequences. The sons got off scot free. There would have been mutterings and shaking of head. And I have to say, excuse me for one second, while you read that, because it's up there. Somebody once told me you should never read things on the slide. He was a teacher. So I'm, I'm sure he knew what he was talking about. Even the older brother comes out and says, this ain't fair, Dad. What's going on here? In another version of this story, told by a preacher, the father sees the son coming, and he waits behind the closed door. The son knocks, and he makes him wait, and keeps him there waiting. On opening the door, the father's stony face listens to the pathetic excuse, the pathetic apology, and with a voice like thunder, says, go, depart from me. You're dead to me. I'd never want to see you again. The son slinks off. And when the older son comes home, he finds there's a party going on in the house. All his friends have been invited. They've killed the fatty calf. And the, son, the older son says, what's this all about? Him? Well, the father says, I saw that low life of a brother of yours. He came round here crawling. Forgiveness, I sent him packing. So I thought it's time we had a feast. And the older son said, great on, Dad, let's get to eat. And when the pastor told that story, there was a great shout from a part of the congregation said, yeah, that's how it should have ended. You see, not everyone gets grace. Not everyone gets to understand God's grace. Not everyone gets to understand or accept a gracious, loving, heavenly Father. And dare I say it, the church has not always covered itself in glory when it's come to being gracious. <coughs> to listen to some of the words that have come out of Christians about some of the issues that divide the church. They don't understand grace. They do not understand grace. They need to read this story again. Because any one of us, every one of us, is a prodigal. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter our race, our gender, our sexuality, we are all prodigals who come home to the Father 
for grace and compassion. The point that Jesus is making is perhaps the older brother was just as lost but didn't know it. Being a faithful rule follower like the Pharisees can blind us to grace. No matter what rules are broken, grace can save anyone, even you and me. It's not just about seeing the need to punish or reject. You see, grace is always going to affront our sense of fairness, so you better get over it. (laughs) Get over it! Because if God is gracious to that person, who are we to judge God? And that's what makes grace so amazing. It's so unfair. And yet God is the God of grace. Oh, okay, that wasn't expected. Oh, that's better. Hey, hey. Now, grace is a gift. You can't demand it. You can't earn it. Paul says again in the letter to the Ephesians, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. This gift of grace had to be received. The son had to come home. He had to turn round. He had to repent, to use a biblical phrase. He had to come back to the father. He had to receive the cloak. He had to put on the ring and wear the sandals and go to the party. And no matter how he felt, he had to accept those things. Now, I suspect he probably felt unworthy, undeserving. And sometimes we can feel like that. And those feelings can keep us from receiving God's grace. Now, how often do we need grace? Oh, that's a question. You're allowed to answer. All the time. All the time. Daily. We need our grace daily. You know, we go through life. God is changing us. We're being transformed, the Bible says. But if you notice, we still mess up. Who's messed up already today? Yeah, let's get there. Come on, let's get some honesty. But God's grace is there for us. And the uplining feeling is don't let your feelings. We sung it today, didn't we, in, the, in one of those songs. Don't let your feelings stop you coming to receive God's grace. And when we receive grace, it's truly transformational. I think the son's, that son's life was changed forever. You see, the father sees us as perfect because he sees the end result of our journey of faith. But of course, we mess up and he still loves us anyway. Do you get that? Do you get the fact that even though you may have messed up today already, he still loves you? And we'll always love you. An undeserved grace 
has a way of changing people. Now, I thought I'd bring along a book to read to you, but it's rather long. It's called La Miserable by Victor Hugo. Anybody read it? Some of you have read it. Wow, that's amazing. I couldn't get past page. Anyway, the hero of the book is a guy called Jean Valjean. And he's sent to prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread, which I think sounds a bit harsh to me. And he's released on parole, and he has to declare his status everywhere he goes. So finding a job is impossible, let alone a place to stay. A bishop takes pity on him and gives him some food and a bed for the night. But before dawn, Jean Valjean helps himself to some silver and creeps away like a thief in the night. Could we lower the house lights for a second? Wow. Oh, I could watch that. <laughs> he got, didn't get what he was expecting, nor what he deserved. The person in authority could have had him thrown in prison for life. And yet, not only does he say, yep, I gave him that silver he took, but hey, I've got some more. Grace is extravagant. And he goes on to become an honest man. Now, very strangely, in this book, the thief is the hero and the villain is a policeman. Get your head around that. His name is Javert. And he's all for justice and judgment. And because Jean Valjean has broken his parole, he hunts him down the years. Until one day, Jean Valjean saves Javert's life. And Javert goes away and he, he can't cope with this. Because in his world, there is only judgment and condemnation. There is no room for grace. And he is so shaken to the core that he jumps into the Seine and drowns. And everybody goes, yay! Grace is amazing and can be contagious. Receiving grace can transform the recipient. Oh, where are we? Okay, I was expecting. Right. Now, one thing about grace is it requires ruthless honesty. The son had come to his senses. He had to acknowledge his actions. He had to take responsibility for his choices. He had to own up. He had to be ruthlessly honest. No fudging. No excuses. He had to become totally vulnerable before his father. No flannel, no false promises, just an admission of guilt. No pride, no attempt to brazen it out. You know, sometimes I think we like to think we can kind of hide a bit of ourselves from God and pretend he doesn't see it. Do you ever do that? Do you have this little compartment in your brain that says... Oh, okay, if I don't actually admit to that, then it's not really happened, and therefore I don't really have to worry about it. 
Anybody kind of had that experience anywhere? Yeah, I have. You see, and pride can keep us from receiving grace. You see, the father didn't go out looking for this son. He waited for him to come. And God says, that's okay, I can wait. I'm just waiting for you to approach. But once you turn, once you approach, wow. Just compassion and love and grace kick in. Now, there were two men and, uh, in America, and they began a 12-step program for people with addictions. Now, both were Christians, and they agonized over whether God should be at the center of the program. But they didn't want the program to exclude anyone on the grounds of religion. So in the end, they chose a different term. They don't use the word God. They use the term a higher power. Now, to many who use the program, it is indeed God. But to others, it's just a higher power outside of themselves. Now, this program that people like AA use is built on ruthless honesty. Hi, my name's Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Would be the start of a meeting. As a pastor, I was given the privilege on more than one occasion to attend the AA meeting that was held in our previous building. And I have to tell you, the honesty was breathtaking. It was humbling. And out of the honesty came a depth of community and support that I have rarely seen, even in church. See, the Bible says we should confess our sins to one another. I've been a Christian for a long time now. I've been a pastor for for a number of years. And yes, people did come occasionally. As Christians, as receivers of grace, We should be ruthlessly honest. Jesus said, the world will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. And that means that we should love one another enough so that we could be ruthlessly honest with one another. You see, Jesus calls us to a higher calling. Not just to be a friendly club, but to be a real community, just like those AA meetings where they were so for each other. They were so tight together for each other. It was amazing. You see, we need to love one another and admit to the times that we're struggling. Admit to the times when we're failing. Now, I don't think we should do it in front of the whole church but we should do it to somebody we trust, somebody who's going to be there for us. We need to be ready to receive grace. We're to be grace bearers. Grace comes with a cost. You see, it's free for us. It's like the NHS. It's free at the point of delivery. 
but we all know it costs money. And as you're a taxpayer, you know that you're going to have to put money into the NHS to keep it afloat. <clears throat> and it keeps people like Deborah gainfully employed. Great. Grace is free at the point of delivery, but um, there was a cost. For the father to forgive, somebody else had to pay the price. And when Jesus went to the cross, that's where grace was purchased for you and for me. Even when they're killing him, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's offering grace to his murderers. To the thief on the cross next to him, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's offering grace to one who is being condemned. You see, at the cross, judgment meets mercy and grace triumphs. Jesus encouraged us to pray, to ask the Father for forgiveness. It's part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, we're going to pray it in a minute. But before we do, I want you to think. Because you've all, a minute ago, some of you put your hands up and said, I've messed up already today. We're going to say a line, forgive us our trespasses. But before we do that, I want you to think, is there something that now you just need to get right with God? Could be minor. Could be medium. Could be major. Mind you, can I just tell you, God doesn't see sin like that. Sin is sin. (laughs) So we might think gossip is a small sin. No, it's a big sin. Because to him, sin is sin. And what is on offer today is as we pray that prayer, Father forgive us for our trespasses we can be the recipients of grace today. We can be the recipients of unconditional love and forgiveness. And today it'll be like you coming home like the son coming home to the father. You can say, Dad hey, maybe it's a long time since we had a conversation and this could be the start a fresh start for that conversation. So let's stand. I'll start us off, and if you would like to follow me, that would be good. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Stop! It's easy to say this prayer and not to engage in the real meaning of it. After the Second World War, some German Christians went to Poland. And they met up with some Polish Christians and they said, will you forgive us? what happened in the war. And the Polish Christians got together and they talked long and hard and they came back and they said, sorry, we can't do that. The atrocities were so bad, the destruction was so awful, 
the hurt that you've caused us was unimaginable. We just can't forgive you. And sadness swept throughout the meeting. It was suggested that as they finished, they should pray together. And prayers were said, and then they started to pray this prayer. And they got to the part where he says, and forgive those who trespass against us. And the Polish Christians broke down in tears because they knew they couldn't pray that prayer. And so they stopped. And they looked to one another. And they looked at the Christians from Germany. And they finally said, we forgive you. Because if we don't forgive you, we will never be able to say this prayer ever again. Just stop for a minute and think. Is there somebody that you need to forgive? Is there somebody that you've been holding a grudge against? Is there somebody that slighted you in some way? And that God now is saying, for my sake, for the sake of my son, for the sake of grace, forgive. 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 Let's start at verse 11. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You may be seated. That was more emotional than I thought it was going to be. We're blessed. (laughs) Saved by grace, God's blessed children, adopted into his family, and we're to bless others. I was once up at Tesco's, and I bumped into somebody. I'm not going to mention names. Um, We'd had a bit of a falling out kind of thing, Um, although we kind of were okay with each other, so we we talked. I mean, I'd forgiven him, but hey-ho. And he just happened to mention that there was a problem going on in his life and his finances. So we parted, and as he walked across the car park, I just felt God say, bless. So I just sat there, I just stood there for a moment and said, Lord, bless him in whatever he needs. Bless him abundantly. And up at Tesco's two weeks later, and I bump into the same person, which is, who I hadn't seen for years. (laughs) Twice in two weeks. How are you doing? Well, you never believe there's been an amazing turnaround in my finances since we last met. Wow. Bless those. We should bless people. Now, last Wednesday, we went out treasure hunting. Any gore? Anybody been treasure hunting? Right, well, treasure hunting is this. We pray. We ask God for somewhere to go. 
We ask God for some names of some people. We ask God for some descriptions of those people. And we ask God for some conditions that those people may or may not have. And we went out, uh, Christine and Peggy, Peggy here? Oh, yeah. And we went down to Herne Bay because we had Clock Tower and Arcade. So we decided that God wanted us to go from the clock tower to the arcade and back again. And we bumped into all sorts of people that were fitted descriptions, and we prayed for people. There was one guy who knows he needs to be baptised, Johnny. So we said, Lord, pray for you, that you know that you need to get baptised. Just get on and do it. Um, pray for somebody on a buggy. He had a back pain. And then we were just coming to, back to the clock tower. And we hadn't seen anybody with red shorts. So we say, right, that's the last clue on our list. We need somebody with red shorts. And coming towards us with a man with red shorts, just by the clock tower. So, oh, hi, you've got red shorts on. Yeah, you might be our treasure. Fantastic. What does that mean? Okay. Well, can we just ask you what your name is? Okay. Well, my name's Stephen. Steve, look, it's one of the names on our list. So, wow, you're now by the clock tower. You've got red shorts. Your name's Steve. And I said, guess what? You've got a stick. We've got limp on our list. What are the chances of four out of four clues? Okay. Mathematically, it's quite astronomical. But clearly God wanted us to meet him and we prayed for him. Now, if you want to be part of a team of people going out treasure hunting, come and see me afterwards. We can organise that. And we prayed for him, for his sciatica, that it would be healed. You see, being graced, being graced, means we're grace givers. It means we bless people. We have the power to change people's lives through God working his grace through us. You see, he calls us to love. The right way around here. Even our enemies. I love this story about the Grinch who stole Christmas, don't you? It's one of those kind of horrible films, but you know, if you've seen it. And what it turns out is... The reason he's so grumpy, he's got a small heart. And what he needs is his heart to grow. You know, when we first come, become Christians, I expect God looks at our little hearts and thinks, boy, do we need to do some work there. And day by day, as we're being transformed, week by week, month by month, and year by year, God wants to grow our hearts and soften our hearts so that we're more loving, more giving, more generous. We're a generous church, and long may that continue. Get in with the program. We need to be compassionate. We need to love all the prodigals. Anybody who walks through those doors, we need to love, care for, and support, no matter who they are. You see, we're called to love extravagantly. Are you an extravagant lover? Well, you should be. <laughs> now, I went... Uh, oh, sorry, my ears popped. Can't hear you. <laughs> I did say earlier that we're not saved by works. But we are called to serve. To bring grace into a needy world. In the 1900s, nearly 500 charities were formed. 75% of them were evangelical in nature. Now, there's a word we don't use so much these days because it's got a bit dirty, isn't it? And these people, they work to alleviate poverty 
improved condition of prisons, ending child labour, improving the health and of the poorest and the housing of the poorest. They worked in areas of education, child adoption and many, many more. This country has a rich Christian heritage. The Twin Pinnacles were the abolition of slavery. And guess what the second one was? Some of you here should know. He said, looking over that way. It was the starting of the Salvation Army. Every five houses along was a pub. And people spent hours in the pub drinking. Some pub had little steps so that children could go up to the counter and buy gin. I'd gone to sleep. And the Salvation Army with who? Who's that man? William Booth. Started up an army of people that did amazing work amongst those people. And they are one of the biggest workers in the area of social care across the world, even today. Little did they know that that thing they started would blossom out into an organisation that not only is a church, but is an organisation that helps people in need. They are grace givers. And so should we be. Now, the government has taken on a lot of those responsibilities that were set off by Christians in those days. But there's still space for us as the church to dispense grace. We have compassion projects that I'm sure you can all engage in. The pantry is in need of food. Can I just tell you that? And I know times are hard and you may not be able to give as much as you were able to give. But if you can give to the pantry, that would be really, really helpful. Grow Baby, well, that's being overwhelmed with gifts. I'm not sure we need to put in a plug for those. But it's an amazing ministry that's helping out there. You see, a sign of Christian maturity is that grace has really begun to work on you and turn you over like the soil. And God is starting at you. Is when you get up and say, God is calling me to do something to help, to show compassion and show grace. So what's so amazing about grace? You are. That's what's so amazing about grace, is that you're actually here. (laughs) Is that you're actually part of something called the church, which is God's family. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.